Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download The House app. Super excited uh, because we just have a, a son of the house who is going to be speaking here today. I am so excited. I'm so honored that Jeff Hazel is coming to bring the word. Listen, we're going to talk about more, and I cannot wait for him to impart what he has into you guys' life. Come on, y'all give a house welcome to Jeff Hazel. Well, good morning, house family. As Pastor Stephen said, my name is Jeff Hazel, and I've been serving here at the house for a little over five years. Uh, my wife and I have done several different roles since we've been here, so we actually oversaw Framework for a couple of years and loved that. We've transitioned to that since to William and Alexis Hood, and we've led life groups. Right now, we're actually leading a freedom group for couples at our house, and then I am doing a men's breakfast group. So we had some hungry men at Cracker Barrel last Saturday. It was a good time. And then our life groups are structured actually in hubs. So we have four hubs, and Hannah and I are the coaches for the Relate Hub. Now, I've started to hear us called the Best Hub. So just know, if you hear anybody referring to the Best Hub, it is the Relate Hub, just now that everybody's on the same page there. Um, I did want to quickly introduce, if you haven't met us, Hannah, if you'd stand up. Uh, Hannah actually comes on Tuesdays and Thursdays and volunteers. <laughs> Uh, so that's been really awesome for our family, for her to get that opportunity, and she helps kind of administratively, does some event planning and such. And then we also have a little tornado. Uh, we call our tornado James, uh, and he is one and a half years old. Uh, we love him dearly. Uh, of course, he's been such a blessing to our life over the past year and a half. Before I get into uh, what God has put on my heart for today, I do want to take a second and honor Pastor Stephen and Katie. There's so much that I could say about just their amazing leadership and all that they pour into us here at the house. But what I want to recognize is just how genuinely they care. They truly care for our people and our church and the vision that God has placed for them. And they lead us with such a way that imparts not just what they think is right, but what they actually model. And so I'm just thinking even from our own life, our marriage has come so far under their uh, leadership in the past five years, just seeing how they do it and, and what they have modeled. And over the past year and a half with James, our parenting has come so far, just seeing how they do it. And so I just want to everybody take a minute and honor Pastor Stephen and Katie today. Well, we are actually kicking off a two-week mini-series called More. Uh, and today my title is Prepare for More. So will you pray with me as we get ready to hear what God has for us today? Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to be here and worshiping you and hearing from you today, Lord. I just pray uh, and thank you that you are already moving in this place, that you already have your spirit resting on us as we sing. And I just pray that you would give me clarity in my words to communicate just the truths that you have revealed to me and put on my heart. I pray that everything we do in this house is glorifying to you today. Amen. Well, is there anyone here that would like more of something? A little hand raise. Maybe that's more money. Could use a little bit of cushion in the bank account. Maybe it's more house. Maybe you'd like more space. Maybe it's more friends. You know, we could all use another friend or two. 
Maybe it's more influence. Maybe you would like more responsibility at work. I think whatever it is, it's safe. I'm safe in assuming that we all would like more of something today. We can all come up with something. And generally speaking, people don't want less. You don't normally say, I just wish I had less money. That'd be good. I wish I had less time. If only I had less time. It's not what people say, right? Well, I know some of you are already thinking, come on now, there's exceptions. I would be thinking that if I was you, so let's, I'll just say that. That there are exceptions, that maybe you do want less of something. And something that came to my mind was maybe you want less clutter, okay? There's actually a show about this, and it's called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll be quick to say that I have not watched this show at all, and so I'm certainly not endorsing this show, but it was all the rage a couple years ago, and people would talk about her approach, and so I'm at least familiar with the premise. The idea is everything gets put in a pile. You take all your stuff, put it in a pile, and for each item, you hold it and say, does this spark joy? And if it doesn't, the idea is you get rid of it, okay? This is crazy. I can't get behind this idea because I'm just thinking about my own house and there are things that I'm not getting rid of, but I don't know that they would spark joy. Take, for example, the dishwasher, okay? I'm never excited or fired up loading the dishwasher, unloading the dishwasher, but I recognize that has a pretty good use in our home. Uh, Take the trash can, you know, stinky, sticky trash can. I'm never looking at that trash can like, hey, That's a good trash can. I'm excited about that trash can today. But I'm going to keep our trash can. I mean, come on now. Uh, Or Q-tips. You know, never in the morning am I just excited. I see our little Q-tip holder and it's like, yes, cleaning my ears. I do clean my ears, so don't worry. But we do still have our Q-tip holder. uh, But it doesn't necessarily spark joy. And as I was kind of thinking about this, this show and, and what I thought was pretty silly, I realized that the motivation isn't less, that it's not about having the less stuff. It's about having more organization or more room. Maybe it's cleaning out a closet that is full of junk in your mind, and if you clean it out, then there's more room for something more important. And see, I realized that sometimes more of the wrong thing is holding us back from more of the right thing. And so as we get into this, I want to read Psalm 115, 12 through 15. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the people of Israel, and he will bless the priests, the descendants of Aaron, and he will bless those who fear the Lord, both great and lowly. May the Lord richly bless both you and your children, and may you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. See, we are wired for a desire to increase. The Bible is very clear that blessings are a good thing, and we all want them. And so as we are getting into this, I believe that to get more, we have to demonstrate both a desire for more and an ability to steward it. That we have to demonstrate both a desire for more and an ability to steward it. And this reminded me, so I'm actually uh, an analytics consultant for MasterCard, Uh, We have a small office here in Northwest Arkansas, primarily to support Walmart, uh, like a bunch of other companies in the area. And when I started uh, about five and a half years ago, uh, a couple months in, I asked my boss, hey, what do I need to be thinking about forward-looking to get a promotion? What do I need to be doing today if I want a promotion in the future? And I remember 
not really liking his answer, uh, if I'm being honest, but it started to make sense. So what he described was, okay, well, when you are doing the next job, we'll give it to you. It's like, what? He said, if, when, when you are showing that you can handle what the next role is, and you're doing not only your job well, but you're doing what is expected of you at the next job, well, then we'll give you the title, and then we'll give you the raise and the promotion. And again, I didn't like it, but it started to make sense to me. Like, okay, well, they don't want to just pay me for something that they don't know if I'm able to do. So once I show that I can do it, then they will. And as I got behind the idea, I realized this wasn't a MasterCard principle, my company's principle. Uh, it's a biblical principle. Uh, it's actually stewardship and, and really stewarding the opportunity. And it reminds me of the parable of the two talents. And Stephen Hill actually preached a great message on this uh, several months ago. You should go back and, and watch it if you missed that. But it's all about the Lord giving us and entrusting us with something. And then we have to not just hold on to that. It's not just keep what we have, but what can we do with what we have to increase, to make an impact, to do more. And it's being good stewards. The, being a good steward is key to more. So as we talked about what we want more of, right, more money, more house, more friends, whatever it may be for you, I want to ground us today that as the believer, while all those things are good, and it's good to want more of those, we should be wanting more of God and more of his plan for our life. So we're going to be centered on that for the rest of this morning, that we are thinking about more of God and more of his plan for our life. Colossians 1, 9 through 10 says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. See, from these two verses, we get two things that are important for us, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of his will. Said another way, more of God, more of his plan. And as I was thinking about more, this reminded me of actually our son, James. Uh, we've learned a lot about parenting, like I say, in the last year and a half. But one thing that Hannah learned, maybe from one of you, is that kids can sign language and co or communicate through sign language far sooner than they can verbally, Okay novel idea. They have the mental capacity to understand communication far before they figured out the mechanics of a pretty complicated inner workings of our tongue and everything to actually produce speech. And so we started working on sign language. And the first thing that we taught him was this. This means more in sign language, okay? The reason that that was important is because James loves to eat. James loves to eat some of you may be laughing because you know him personally and you've seen him eat. This man has been shoveling food since we started giving him real food at six months old. And so it became very important for us to be able to teach him how to tell us he wants more. Because what it looked like is we'd be eating, trying to have a nice meal, and he shovels his food faster than we could eat our food. He's ready for more, and so he sees the food on our plate, and he's screaming, reaching out, wanting more, Okay. So we thought if we could teach him this, that's a more acceptable way to tell us more, especially think if we're in a restaurant, we don't want like, to be those people with the screaming baby uh, in the middle of 
the restaurant if we can help it. But the idea, right, is we're, we're teaching him to signal more. And even now, at one and a half years old, sometimes he still is screaming when he's ready for more food. And we know that he wants more food because his plate's empty, but we don't give it to him. We wait until he tells us the right way, until he gives us the right signal that he's ready for more. And then we give him food because we try to be good parents, right? But uh, we wait for that signal, and God does the same thing. See, God, God knows everything. He knows what we want, right? He, he, we don't need to tell him or do anything for him to know what we want. But maybe he's waiting on us to give the right signal that we are ready for more. See, I present that today, uh, preparation is the signal to God and the world that we trust more is coming. That's preparation is the signal to God and the world that we trust that more is coming. And anytime I kind of focus in on a word, I like to punch it in Google and get the definition. Not that we don't all basically know what preparation means, but sometimes there's insight from just how is it actually textbook defined. And the definition for preparation is the action or process of making ready or being made ready for use. Two things stand out. One, it's a process that preparation isn't just a one-time thing, but it, it is an overtime thing. And two, that we are being made ready for use. See, being ready is the key, and being prepared and having a plan are not the same. So you can have great plans, but if you aren't prepared for those plans, then that's not, that's not it. And I was thinking about this, right? Like, think about a trip. Think about a vacation that maybe you want to go on, Okay. Maybe you've got it all figured out. You know where you're going. Maybe you know how you're getting there, where you're staying, what you're going to do. Maybe you even are those people that for your vacation, you have an itinerary that's every day, here's exactly what we're going to do and where we're going to eat and all that. That's great. But if you haven't packed and you're leaving the next morning, you better pack, right? You're not prepared for that trip and and right? You, you could still go on the trip, but you're not going to have any stuff when you get there. So I would argue you should pack, you should prepare. And this also reminded me a few years ago, some, some good friends of ours were moving, okay? And they moved away. We were sad to see them go, moving away from Northwest Arkansas. And uh, attempting to be good friends, we offered that we would help them move. And we had a plan. They, had, they got the biggest U-Haul that you can rent, and we were going to pack up or load up all of their stuff and send them on their way. So it's great. I get off work. I go over there, see the U-Haul. It's backed in, ready, got the ramp down, ready to go. Knock on the door. I hear them say, come in. I open the door. And it was like any other day walking to their house. Like, like if I hadn't seen the U-Haul looking inside, I wouldn't have known that they were moving. So I, I realized that there's a difference in helping someone move and helping someone load. And maybe kind of that pack and load difference is something you should clarify if you ever <laughs> offer to help somebody move. But no, again, we, we were excited to help them. And we spent the rest of that night and we got them loaded up and they got on their way. Um, but planning, they had a great plan. They had the U-Haul. They knew how they were or when they were going to move. They were not prepared. See, if preparation is the signal to God and the world that we trust that more is coming, 
and our more means more of God and more of his plan for our life, then how do we prepare for that? How do we prepare to get more of God and more of his plan for our life? I want to read to you a passage from Genesis 6 this morning. It's actually the story of Noah. We're going to start in verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. Takes a turn here. And God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on the earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them out along with the earth. Verse 14 goes on to say, build a large boat. And the next few verses detail what exactly that entails. Summarize, it's a big boat. It's a big boat. It's going to take Noah a long time to build. And then we skip down to verse 17 where we see, Look, I am about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your son, sons and their wives, and bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you and keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, and every kind of small animal that scurries around, along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for your family and all your animals. A lot of pressure there. A lot of pressure. Talk about preparation. But verse 22, so Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. See, there's a lot that we can learn from this story, the story of Noah about preparation. I mean, heck of a story about preparation. But what we can see is we can learn how to prepare to get more of God and more of his plan for our life. And number one is to walk faithfully with God. As it says in Genesis 6, right, the, Noah walked faithfully with God. And, and what, what does this look like? What does it look like to walk faithfully or maybe you could consider be in a relationship with God? Well, one, it is a journey, um, but sometimes, right, it can be hard to understand practically how, how can we be in relationship with God. And it's helpful to parallel that to our earthly relationships. So take Hannah and I, right? We're married. And so to have a good relationship, we need to talk every day. We need to be in communication. There shouldn't be a day that goes by where we're not talking. We need to spend time together. And so especially there's some weeks, right, if I'm being honest, we are busy and don't spend enough time. And so we need to take a step back and recognize, hey, we need to, maybe it's get a babysitter, go drop James at a friend's house, whatever it is, so that we can get away and have some time to work on that relationship. And it's the same way with God. We have to make sure we're making time for him and communicating. And the way we communicate with God is he has his word, the word of God, the Bible. We can spend time reading it, and he is infusing us with his truths, and then we can pray to him, and that's how we communicate with him. So it's the classic, right? If you grew up in church, I mean, read your Bible and pray. It's that easy, right? The thing is, it can be, and we just often don't make the right time for it. And 
you know, as I think about this, there's never a time where I've read my Bible and thought, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I will regret that I spent that time this morning. There's never a time that I pray and I think, if only I wouldn't have prayed about that situation. If only I wouldn't have gone to God, right? Like, I never regret the time I spend praying and the time that I spend reading my Bible. But there's plenty that I, I regret doing, right? Uh, I'm not coming for anybody individually, but how about social media, okay? How much time can you spend on social media? I mean, social media is really designed to be a time suck. There are good things about social media, but you've got to be careful with your time, right? Instagram, Facebook, and I like Twitter. Uh, I know that most people don't like Twitter, but see, if you are into sports, Twitter is a great avenue for sports dialogue, right? Commentary on uh, how the teams are doing, what people are thinking, any news. And so I'll, as a big Razorback fan, as some of you may know, uh, I'll spend a lot of time on Twitter after a big win. So take the Auburn game last week for anybody that's uh, following college basketball. We had a big win over number one Auburn, and I was all about it. See, what, what was the national media saying about the Hogs, the Hogs conquering number one and it's great, except I realized 45 minutes had gone by and I had just been scrolling. And what if I would have, I mean, not even that that's necessarily bad, but what if I had spent half that time scrolling and half the time praying, right? I would have gotten a lot more out of that 45 minutes if I would be careful with my time to make sure that I am walking faithfully with God. See, this reminded me of a hymn, uh, Just a Closer Walk with Thee. See, I grew up in central Arkansas, and we sing hymns in my church, and we definitely sing hymns in the little country church in Bologna, Arkansas that I went to at my, when we were visiting my grandparents. And so hymns play a special place in my heart because they remind me back then. They remind me when my walk started, my walk and my journey walking with the Lord. And so I just, there's something about it when I listen to a hymn that I like. But this hymn particularly stood out, and I want to read a couple lines from it. It says, I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to thee. Just a closer walk with thee. Grant it, Jesus, is my plea. Daily walking close to thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. See, the origin of this song is actually unknown, but what we do know is that there's evidence that it was sang in churches in the early 1800s in African-American churches in the South. And I just love that truth to know that this simple idea of walking daily with the Lord was the same for them in that time, in those circumstances, as it is for us today. That it's the same God, it's the same opportunity to walk faithfully with him, and it's the same opportunity that we're talking about Noah did when he was walking faithfully with God. And taking those truths and understanding, hey, this, this can be something that's approachable is important to learn from Noah. The second thing that we can learn from Noah is to recognize that we are not in control. See, the Lord's more for you may look different than what you think it is. When we were talking about what do you want more of, that might be in God's plan, but that might not be what is. And understanding that is important. See, Noah, Noah probably wouldn't have planned things the way it was. See, Noah looked ridiculous when he was building this boat. There's not 
we don't know with 100% certainty, but the, it's widely believed that it had never rained before. So not only is he faithfully building this boat that, that right, is massive and it kind of already kind of sounds crazy, but it's never even rained. So the idea of it raining enough to flood the earth, everybody else thinks he's crazy. And I, I feel like, right, th- this didn't go down like Noah saying, okay, God, hear me out. I've got a plan. I've got a great idea. I'm going to build this enormous boat. See, Noah doesn't know what rain is. So he just says, make a bunch of waterfall uh, and flood the earth. And unfortunately, that's going to kill everybody else. That's okay. As I think about this, I really like animals, so we'll save the animals. So, so yeah, big enough boat for all my family and all the animals. We'll have the animals come on. It'll be great. I'll live on this boat for about a year. That's going to smell good. And then at the end of all this, we'll go to this kind of sticky or uh, muddy, uh, gross remen- uh, remaining earth uh, is our kind of new home. Like this isn't how Noah would have planned it, right? I think that should be pretty obvious. And so as we think about it, that was okay with Noah. Noah knew that the way he wanted it wasn't God's plan, and he needed to follow God's plan to be part of the more, part of the outcome. In James 4, 13 through 16, he says, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It's harsh. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Again, see, Noah understood that he wanted to be part of the will of God because ultimately the will of God is what's going to prevail. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a hope and a future. And while this is a very often quoted verse, let's point out that it says, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. It does not say, for I know the plans that you have for you, says the Lord. It's his plan, and he knows it, and you just have to know it too. Um, and so really getting that truth that it's about his plan and not our plan. I want to share, so uh, when we were doing premarital counseling, we were talking about some of the things they encourage you to align upon, right, before you get married. One of those pretty big one is, do you want kids or not? We were aligned, yes, good, great. The second question, how many kids? Uh, we were not aligned on that. We are still, the jury's still out on that. So to be determined, uh, but we're, we'll figure that out. And another related question was, well, when do you want to have kids? And we were on the same page about waiting three or four years after we had gotten married to try to start a family. Well, that time came a couple years ago, and we were realizing that, hey, actually, yeah, this is what we said. Do we, are we ready, right? And we decided, yes, like, let's start trying. And uh, we, were, we were really enthused about it, but then we got a natural indicator uh, that that was not the case at, when it was that time of the month. And, okay, we'll keep trying. And another month goes by, 
and we get the same news in another month, in another month. And for anyone that has been in that situation, or maybe you are even today, you know how heavy that gets. Um, how heavy it is just to be in that season of uncertainty, knowing that, you're, that you want it, but you don't understand why not. And it was really a struggle for us, just understanding, like, what, God, what is your plan? What, what is next for us? Why is this not what we think is good but not happening? And I still remember it was a men's Bible study up at the church, and I just opened up. It was kind of time for prayer requests, and I was in a moment of vulnerability just sharing what we had been going through and that it had been a struggle. And really, that I just felt helpless that there had been a lot in my life that I had felt like I had control over, but this was something that was so out of my control. And so they were just reminding me that that's exactly it. Realizing that is it, that you are not in control and that you will get pregnant when the Lord wants you to get pregnant. And they prayed for me, and, and our story is actually that it was that month that we found out that baby James was coming. Um, and... You know, a couple things I'll say. Obviously, I know that that's not everybody's story, uh, but that was the timing that the Lord orchestrated for us, and it was not the timing that we had planned. See, we had to understand that the Lord's plan and his timing is the timing that we actually want. And I think about it, like James is such an awesome, I mean, we love him so much. He brings so much joy. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's a tornado, like I said earlier, but but we love him, and I can't imagine him any other way or any other timing than how we have him. And that's the Lord, uh, just his plan. So, Ben, you guys can, can start to come up. And I want to look at the third thing we can learn from Noah, and that is to take action today. <clears throat> See, Noah didn't wait till it started raining to build the ark. And I'm glad that he didn't, because if he would, he wouldn't have had enough time. The Bible says that it rained for 40 days to flood the earth. So if he would have tried to build that ark in 40 days, well, I know he wouldn't have finished it. And if he did, there would have been a hole. And so we would have no Noah. We certainly wouldn't be talking about him uh, today. But he did not wait. He understood that if God told him to do something, it says in verse 22, he did it exactly as the Lord commanded. And... As I think about taking action, see, we are a church of taking actions. We talk about next steps all the time. Uh, I will often come up and give the next steps at the end of service, and we'll, I mean, it, sometimes it could be a tongue twister, right? We've got the first step card that we would like you to fill out. We've got the next steps room, the next steps booth. We want you to take a next steps, but we're not ashamed of that. We are going to continue to double down. That's intentional because you do need to take a next step. See, we can't just come to church ready to worship God and hear from God and leave it at that. Because that's how you get week in and week out the same thing and you never go anywhere. You don't ever realize that more because we, there needs to be a next step. There has to be a next step. We should come every week expecting, God, what do you want me to do today? What is it that I need to do? And maybe you've been coming and you've heard us talk about framework every week and you haven't gone, and there's really no reason that you haven't gone. Like, what, what's holding you back, right? Why not go today? We have it at 4 o'clock. Uh, we also have it during this service if you come another time. But uh, why don't you go today? Meet somebody. Hear about the vision of the house. Hear how you can be a part of it. 
Go today. Maybe you need to join a life group. Maybe there's something, there's a reason that you are skeptical or scared uh, holding you back from joining a life group. See, that's part of Hannah and I's story. When we came to this church, all of our friends had moved away and we were just in desperate need of people to do life with. We just needed people to play games with, go to dinner with, just hang out with. And so we got involved in a life group and that met that need that the Lord knew we had. And so I would just encourage you, we've got a lot of life groups available. Uh, they can help you with that in the next steps. Come and just, we'll find a life group for you. Preparation is the signal to God in the world that we trust more is coming. And again, if, if Noah didn't believe it was going to flood, he wouldn't have built the ark. But him building the ark showed God, hey, I believe it. And it showed the world that he believed it. Right now, we're building a new building over on Olive Street, right? We got the, the tour of it. We're excited. And, you know, looking around, it, it's pretty full in here, but everybody's got a seat. So you could ask, like, do we really need more space? Because we all fit, right? But it's not about who's here today. It's about who's coming. And if we waited for people to come to realize we needed more space, well, then we're not prepared. And so we are believing for the families that are going to come later this year, next year, years to come. And that's why we're building. That's why we're building for them because we know we better be prepared today for more that is coming. And that building on Olive Street is our signal to this community that we're, we're trusting for more. See, as we look at the story of Noah and how it concludes, I want to read Genesis 8, verse 13. And by the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. And then Noah removed the covering from the ark and saw. But you guys didn't know the ark and saw was in the Bible. Take that, Texas. But uh, from, moved the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. And by the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. The flood ends, right? And then we skip ahead to Genesis 9, verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Skipping down to verse 7. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. And then verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I will establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all that came out of the ark with you, every living creature, I will establish my covenant, and never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. See, perhaps the greatest story of preparation ends with more than Noah could have imagined for more. See, not only is he just going about his happy life, but he all of a sudden is just reaping so much blessing based on what he chose to do in preparing for the flood, right? Not only him, but Genesis 10 goes on and talks about all his descendants and what a legacy he left to his family of obedience to God. See, there's one more part of Noah's story. If we look at verse 12, then God said, I am giving you a sign, or you could say a signal of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. 
I have placed my rainbow in the clouds, and it is a sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. See, our God even demonstrates the importance of signals. He ends the story with a signal back to us to say, hey, I gave you more, and I promise that that remains, that the rainbow will be there, and that the flood will never be, or that uh, the earth will never be flooded again. See, we have to signal to God that we are ready for more, and then he lovingly signals in return. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the Contact Us tab of the house website. We hope you have a great week.